We stand in the presence of God's Word. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, for the Lord has a controversy with His people. O my people, what have I done to you, and what have I wearied you? Answer me. I brought you up from the land of Egypt, redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. He has told you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Tiglath Pileser was not a nice person. Like many before him and many since, when he became head of the Assyrian Empire, he wanted all the land that adjoined his borders. And so he began to expand the borders. In 722, before the Common Era, he swept southward with his armies into the northern tribes of Israel, raping, plundering, murdering, burning, rounding up and displacing the ten northern tribes so that they ceased to exist as a separate people. We still speak of them as the ten lost tribes of Israel. There was a young prophet living in the southern tribes whose name was Micah. He lived at a little village called Morashet. Think Barnsdall, Ulaga, who suddenly went to the capital city and started ranting and raving that the same fate was going to befall the southern tribes as had befallen the northern if they did not get their house in order. And that brings us to today's text. Number one, O Judah, have I wearied you? Do you not remember our history? Do you not remember that I have been your God now for 1,100 years? Since Abraham and Sarah, I gave them a son, Isaac, who married Rebekah. I gave them twin sons, Jacob and Esau. I gave to Jacob twelve sons. I led them to Egypt when they were starving to death. And after Pharaoh enslaved them for the next 400 years, I spoke to Moses and sent him back to Egypt. I pounded Pharaoh till he let my people go. I parted the waters for them. I led them again to the holy mountain and gave them the Ten Commandments. I gave you Moses and his brother Aaron and their sister Miriam. Have I wearied you? Can you hear Micah? saying, the Lord told me that America is wearying him. Did I not help Columbus find this broad new land in 1492? Did I not help you defeat the powerful French and then the British? Did I not lead you through the war of 1812? Did I not lead you through a horrible civil war where you suffered more casualties than any other war in your history and kept the nation united and made it stronger? 
Did I not lead you through the Spanish-American War, World War I, the greatest depression that the world could remember? Did I not lead you through World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan? Did I not give you Jefferson and Washington and Adams and Hamilton and Lincoln? Have I wearied you? That every time a Gallup pollster says, are you related to any faith community? If so, which one? Do you know the fastest growing category in America? None. Related to any faith community? Not me. I'm spiritual, not religious. And even those who say, I'm related to one, think if they go once a month, once every six weeks, once every two months, twice a year, I'm active. Really? Do you really think so? What Micah has recited here is what the German theologians called Heilsgeschichte. It's a salvation history. Micah has helped God recount what God has done for Judah all those centuries and how could they not now do what God was asking of them and he was convinced that if they did not some horrible fate would befall them. God would offer them up to someone else. It happened, of course, 150 years later when the dreaded Babylonians came. Dr. Gunther Plout, a rabbi, Gunther Plout, died within the last 18 months. An elderly man who was one of five brilliant young Jewish scholars who were banned from all the universities of Germany because they were Jews. Their unusual abilities recognized so that they were scholarshiped to the United States. It's in the early 1930s. They came to the United States to Hebrew Union in Cincinnati and all were graduated with honors. One of those was Rabbi Herman Shalman, the first rabbi this church had in its Barton Clinton Gordy series. He was one of the five. Gunter Plout was another of those five. And in his commentary on Micah, he says, We Jews believe this eighth verse of the sixth chapter of Micah is a summation of what we believe. Now, if you were in someone's class, that means write that down. Put three stars beside it. You will see it on the final. Look at this verse. Point number two, do justice. What does the Lord require of you to do justice? One of the scholars I read this week said, actually, it would be better if rather than using the word justice as a noun, you use it as an adverb. Because it's not something you believe, it's something you do. And so a better rendering is, God expects you to do justly. And this is not difficult. It means treat everyone fairly. When Jesus was asked, what are the most important commandments? The most important, he quoted the Shema from the Torah scroll of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Eye Asher Eye, our Elohim is one. You must have no other Elohim but Him. 
you must worship this one with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Second, sort of like the first, and he quoted from another scroll of the Torah, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This really sums up the Torah and the prophets. To do justly. Right now in New York City, one of the museums, there is a very large display of photography. Photos taken by one person, Roman Vizniak. Roman Vizniak was born in Moscow, 1897, to Jewish parents. In an attempt to get along, they were mostly assimilated into the Russian culture. When Roman was only seven, on a birthday, his parents gave him a camera, and he fell in love with it. He started taking pictures. As often as he could get film, he was taking pictures. In 1917, the Bolshevik Revolution occurred, and this Jewish family discovered Moscow was not a safe place for them, and so they spent what was necessary to move to a place they felt was safe, Berlin, Germany. Not a good choice. As the 20s came on with rampant inflation, the horrible conditions following World War I, only to have the election of Adolf Hitler in late 1933 and the coming to power of the Nazis in 1934, Roman Vizniak kept taking pictures, taking pictures in the streets of Berlin. Yes, the Brandenburg Gate, down the Unter den Linden, showing little Jewish children walking along the street, and already in the background, the swastikas, the swastikas. And then the night of Kristallnacht, when Jewish businesses were set aflame and synagogues destroyed, he kept taking pictures. In 1940, he was thrown into one of the camps. But this wasn't the worst time yet, not the time of the greatest gassing and burning yet. And after three months, he was released. He knew this was not a safe place for Jews, and he spent what was necessary to get himself to the United States of America. He taught in one of our major universities for years. 1947, he felt maybe it was safe to go back. Berlin was a divided city by this time. He could only see the western part. But he took pictures. He took pictures. He went back to Potsdamer Platz. Now... Checkpoint Charlie. He saw the huge German shepherd dogs patrolling through the Brandenburg Gate. He took pictures, took pictures. Finally, many of them were published in a book called A Vanished World. Steven Spielberg used that book of photographs when he was writing the screenplay for Schindler's List. A vanished world when any society stops doing justly. When you stop doing justly. When you pick out a person or you pick out a group and decide we're not going to treat them the way we treat the rest, the whole society is in great trouble. Michael was right about that. God's right about that. Number two, number three point for us. You shall love kindness, some of the translations say. The old King James said, you shall love mercy. Actually, this is the word chesed. We would write it H-E-S-E-D in English, but it has a rough breathing mark over the H. 
So in the Middle East, you're supposed to go sort of chesed. It is the one word used more than any other in the 39 scrolls of Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures, to describe the very heart of God. God's heart, God's being is chesed. It's usually translated for us as steadfast love or never failing love. Last Sunday at 5 o'clock when Dr. Kroll preached in our Vesper service and then I stood to be your celebrant inviting you to the table, I read along with you. And when our love failed, you loved us still. When we failed to keep covenant with you, you continued to keep covenant with us. And we Gentiles believed, but finally God showed how far he loved all whom he had created with the coming and finally the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. We're supposed to love this chesed, which always carries with it not only a feeling of love, because this is the word that really gets tossed around in English, rock stars, I love you, I love you, you know, that sort of thing. This is not what we talk about in church. In church, it's about putting yourself out for the well-being of another, and they need to know they can count on that. It has an element of loyalty to it, that you can see it. I love you and you can count on me to love you. In sickness and health all the time and forever, I will do that. I don't know if you read the newsletter that Sherry Goodwin sends you every week. I hope so. There was a little article in there a few weeks ago that Bishop Max Stokes had died. Bishop Max Stokes was 100 years old. In another month, he'd have been 101. He was born in Wonsan, Korea. His mother and father were missionaries, Methodist missionaries to Korea. He was graduated from high school in Seoul. His parents sent him back to America to continue his education. He got a bachelor's degree. He went to Duke Divinity School for his master's. He went to our Boston University for his Ph.D., he became a professor, Candler School of Theology, Emory University, Atlanta, Georgia. 31 years, he was a professor and then dean and was elected a bishop. And they sent him to Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi, 1972. Four years after Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. One of his biggest churches just before he arrived had all the ushers standing out on the porches of the church with axe handles in their hand, threatening to bash in the heads of any black person who approached. They sent him to Jackson, Mississippi. He wasn't a big man physically. Twenty-five years ago, I was invited to preach for the southeastern jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church, our biggest and strongest jurisdiction in America at Lake Junaluska. In our jurisdiction, we have a week at Mount Sequoia we call Bishop's Week. Over there, they call it Minister's Week, but it means all the bishops are going to be there and all the district superintendents are going to be there and as many preachers as possible are supposed to be there. I was invited to be the preacher. 
And Bishop Max Stokes and his wife Rose took Gail and me to dinner. He said, this Methodist food all sort of tastes the same. I can get you in a country club right down the road. We can have a steak. He and Rose did not talk like South Korea. They talked like Georgia. They talked like Atlanta. They were genuine, warm, gracious people. They sent him to Jackson, Mississippi. He had two conferences of black Methodist churches and two conferences of white Methodist churches, four conferences in the state of Mississippi. And within 12 months, Bishop Stowe had all four conferences vote overwhelmingly to become one conference. Whites and blacks in Mississippi. Because he believed and he convinced enough others we're supposed to love Chesed and be able to show the other and you can count on that. I will put myself out for you. And you can count on that. Number four. To walk humbly with your God. The Tanakh, the rabbi's translation of their scriptures, they say walk modestly. Walk modestly. One of the scholars I read this week said, walk circumspectly. I know this word. I had Latin in college. I know circum and speciary in Latin is to look. Walk looking all around. Last August, I traded in my car. I bought basically the same car, just a newer version. I didn't even know quite all the changes they had made. And when my car arrived and I got in it to back away from the dealer, there was a little screen up on the dash and I could see behind me. I had a camera on the back of my car. I didn't have to look in the mirror. I didn't have to look out the window. I could look at the little screen. And it showed me far better what was right behind me. And it even had drawn on the screen a rectangle of the size of my car and how close I was getting to something else. Week before last, we Biggses took our annual ski trip to Vail. Trey and his boys went on on Saturday. But I had Sunday. I had to work. Monday morning before daylight, Jason and his girls and Gail and I were catching a plane to Denver. A couple of months ago, Jason, who's much more adept at dealing with computers than I am, had looked for us a rental vehicle that we could drive from Denver over to Vail that would carry all of us and his ski boards, the little girls' ski boards, snowboards. And uh, so he had found a price. He wasn't terribly happy with it. I was hoping maybe we could do better myself. So about four days before we left, that night they were over at our house, he and the little girls. And I said, Jason, would you try once more on the rent car and put in my AARP number this time? 
Sometimes they do special things for really old people. <laughs> and so he said, okay. And he said, which one do you want to start, start with? I said, well, put Hertz in. And when he put Hertz in and he put in my code number, boom, up popped a beautiful infinity vehicle with six captain seats in it and lots of room inside for snowboards. And he said, gee, Dad, this vehicle is dollars $70,000. And look at the price they're offering. But, of course, if we take this, you'll have to drive. I said, I can do that. So we got to Denver, and we get in this beautiful new infinity. We get everything loaded. I put it in reverse, and I can see all around my car. It had cameras in all directions on one screen. Now, there was no problem getting out of the parking lot in Denver. When I got to Vail and we go down under the place we're staying into a parking garage, it was built a few years ago, and the spaces are small, and this is a big vehicle. And as I started to pull in, these little yellow lights on the screen going, like this. You're getting really close to that one. You're getting really close to that one. But I didn't touch any of them. And we spent our weekend on Saturday. I get in the car, start to back out. And the little lights, yellow ones, are just blinking like crazy. You're really close to that one and really close to that one. But I didn't touch any of them. Backed out, went to the airport. Circumspectly. All around, speciere, looking all around you. And then if you read Rabbi Gunter Plout when he says, we like the word modestly because it means halakha, walk. You walk with him, but you're very careful to be a step or two behind. You walk with him, but be very careful that you're looking and walking a step or two behind the one you're following. Gina Bridgman lives in Scottsdale, Arizona. He has a husband, son, and daughter. Son's now in college, daughter in high school. At Christmas time, Gina was writing about how diligently she and her husband tried to teach their two little ones years ago to do Advent. We had calendars, she said, where we helped them count down all the way to December 25th. And we even got a board game one year when they were little. They liked to play board games. And here was one of going from Nazareth down to Bethlehem with Mary and Joseph. And like most, you roll the dice and it tells you how many spaces to move. And you're getting along pretty well down toward Bethlehem when all of a sudden, boom, donkey stumbles, take three steps back. You roll the dice, up, bridge is out, you lose a turn. And she said, our little boy would get so frustrated, you know. He'd be doing so well. He was sure he was going to be the first one to Bethlehem. Nope, the donkey stumbled, and he had to take three steps back. When our daughter was in high school, she was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And one Christmas Eve, Gina writes, she'd had a flare-up, and she was in the hospital. Our son, two years older, was scheduled to sing a solo in the Christmas service that night at our church. Oh, holy night. 
Our daughter was unhappy that she wasn't going to get to be there. My husband and I wanted to be there. We wanted to stay with her at the hospital. How could we do both? Finally, a grandmother said she would stay with her and the rest of us could go hear our son sing and then we could all hurry back to the hospital to be sure the daughter was doing well on Christmas Eve. And surely enough, the service went well and we got to the hospital and our daughter was still a little down because she wasn't at home. She wasn't near the tree. She was in the hospital. She wasn't feeling well at all. And our son, we prevailed upon him to sing the solo quietly to her in the hospital room. Oh, holy night. And Gina writes, if you're moving toward Bethlehem, there will come times when you take three steps back or you lose your turn. But you keep on walking. And if you walk closely, maybe two steps behind, we all get to Bethlehem. 